0: This is Anala Rabari. Welcome to Cast. This is episode 60, and this is the podcast for dancers and fans of Middle Eastern dance. Um, this week, I have the first part of an interview with Safa, who I had the privilege of taking a workshop from in Tulsa on July 26th. Um, fabulous tribal workshop. Um, we also have event announcements, the question of the week. And two reviews, one is the CD, A Tribal Metamorphosis, by Pentaphobe, and the other is the DVD, Tribal Revelation, Tribal Fusion Belly Dance. This week's music is from Ambrush and the Secret Archives of the Vatican. So let's get started. Um, So what's the funkiest place you've bought a, a a costume piece from? And nobody answered, but I'm going to give you guys my answer, although I haven't actually done it yet. Um, I do have my eye on um, some things that I'm going to purchase for a costume at some point um, from a hunting goods store. I know you're probably all going, what? But let me tell you guys this. If you have never done this, you need to do this. Go to a hunting supply store kid you not i go to the fishing department yes fishing and um because they make fishing lures now with all kinds of freaky things and what they do is they have this stuff for fishermen to make their own lures from well some of the things that fishermen make lures from are feathers Uh uh-huh And I'm talking about like really pretty, sometimes really kind of freaky colored dyed feathers and um, really awesome. And you can't find these colors and these style of feathers like just craft stores and things like that. Let me tell you, because I I haven't seen them anywhere else. So at some point when I have a full cohesive idea of what the costume is that I want to make, I'll be going to the hunting store to the fishing department to buy um things to make lures with but um i'll actually be using them for costuming so tip me to you hunting store i know crazy who would have thought And now your Cast news. August 6th through September 30th, the Belly Dance Superstars will be having various workshops and shows in Taiwan, Virginia, Illinois, Nevada, Mexico, Texas, Spain, and California. August 9th through 10th, Ruby Sakura Belly Dancers presents Saidi in workshops and show in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. August 10th through 16th, Summer at Shambhalaya, Dancing from the Inside Out, Oriental Dance with t- Retreat with Sharini El Safi, Shambhalaya Ranch, Northern California. August 11th through the 13th, Fat Chance Workshop in Highland, California. August 14th through the 15th, Fat Chance ATS Teacher Training in Highland, California. August 14th through the 17th, Y'all holla, y'all. A Gathering of Stars in Grapevine, Texas. Ryan's laughing at me, but how else is a Southern girl supposed to say that? Okay, August 15th through 17th, Southern Fusion Fest 2008. Three days of shows, shopping, and workshops with Tamalindala, Mariah Chapel, Marty Love, Zafira Dance Company, Gina, and more in Athens, Georgia. August eighteenth through the twenty fourth, moon over Morocco. Seven belly dance camp and concert in Santa Barbara, California. July or August. I'm forgetting what month it is now. Good grief. August twenty second through the twenty fifth, Jillian and Mary Bellies presents Leila Giovanna and Roland in workshops and Saturday evening show in Rheingold, Georgia, and Chattanooga, Tennessee. August 23rd through the 24th, Cassandra Alwardi and the Wind and Sand Dance Company present Zaidi in workshops and show in Cleveland, Ohio. August 29th, Gypsy Fire will perform at the River's Edge Bistro and Cafe in Tulsa, Oklahoma. August 29th through the 31st, Fat Chance Workshop in Katambu, Australia. Kat- Katamba? Australia? Well, I'm sure if you live in Australia, you know what city I'm talking about. September 13th, Judy Cunningham presents the 21st Annual Belly Dancers Workshop Bazaar and Hofla. Instructors incu- include Shikane, Ashia, and Najida in Sedalia, Missouri. September 26th, Gypsy Fire will perform at the Rivers Edge Bistro and Cafe in Tulsa, Oklahoma. This has been the Shimmy Cast News for this week, and as always, you can find more information about all of these events on our forum board. Tri- uh, this week's first review is a tribal metamorphosis by Pentaphobe, and it is reviewed by Nala Rabari. This eleven-track album is roughly forty minutes of self-labeled experiments in tribal fusion music. I appreciate the information in the liner notes, such as specific instru- uh, such as specific musicians used on instruments, because I often use that as a way to find new music. I also like the fact that Rachel Bryce played on many of the tracks and hope that other dancers take inspiration from her to get involved in the creation of the music that they perform. This CD was my first exposure to tribal fusion music, and I'm not sure I could have had a better introduction. All the tracks are under five minutes long, and most of the songs on the CD have an industrial undertone to them, with just the right amount of odd samplings like scratching records thrown in on top of traditional Middle Eastern rhythms. I, Cashew, Ray is one of my favorites because I enjoy the very vintage sounding music being interwoven with the modern recording sound of the drums and the industrial underlying beats. Other tracks that I enjoy are Sahan, Intermittent, and Cafe Abuse Tone. This week's first song is Sturgewald by Ambrush from the Podsafe Music Network. Revelation Tribal Fusion Belly Dance DVD, and it is reviewed by Nala Rabari. This DVD includes twelve performances by some of the most, by some of the best known fusion dancers, and some dancers not really known for fusion. Myra Betts starts the DVD with what she calls a cabra cabrabile solo. Man, I hope that's how you pronounce that. It was written on the DVD. It's a beautiful slow piece with lovely hand movements. Next is a trio piece from Nekia. They classify this as a jazz fusion piece, and they included zilling. The routine reminded me too much of Sahelia's jazz workout rather than a performance piece. Ariella has fabulous hand and arm movements and isolations in her Gothic tribal fusion piece to Solace's Exiled. And I loved Zoe Jack's drum solo and Toxim, but I was annoyed by all the strobe lights used during her routine as I found them distracting. Cammy Little's Tribal Fusion piece had a rockin' upbeat number, and watching her smile as she dances, you just can't help but love the routine. Princess Farhana does a wonderful vintage belly dance piece with large feather fans. I've seen this piece in person, and although the DVD doesn't do it justice, it's still great to see it again, and I fell in love again with her 1920s movie belly dancer-inspired costume. Katie K performed a Balkan fusion piece in a costume that was reminiscent of a saloon hall girl. I've noticed this costume trend with a number of the tribal fusion dancers, and I just can't make up my mind if I like it or not. Ultra Dripsy did a real nice drum solo duet. Aubrey gave a nice solid routine, but I'm not sure I would categorize it as tribal fusion. Domba does a cool Afro belly dance fusion troupe routine. I've said it before and I'll say it again, there's a special magic in watching a tribal group piece. I found this routine really interesting to watch as they had a lot of African influence in the movements. I have a lot of music that is similar to this that I've often wondered about fusion, but I wasn't quite sure what moves to include, and now I have some great ideas. Ulu is a dancer I'm unfamiliar with. She danced a rather hypnotic routine that put me in the mindset of a pharaonic temple dancer. Sue B. Jin did a really nice tribal duet that felt more ATS style than fusionist to me. They had some really nice partnering during the floor work section that continued after they got up off the floor and back onto their feet and it it lasted the rest of the routine. The name of the dancer, song, musician, and style are included before each piece. I love it when productions do this as it helps me find new musicians and CDs to check out. And I always love finding out how the dancers like to categorize their certain pieces. The staging, lighting, and other production qualities are professional caliber. The lighting is done in a very theatrical way, which is nice for setting the mood and atmosphere, but it also makes it hard to really see the details in some of the dancers' costumes and movements and as I mentioned before the strobe lighting could be a bit distracting. I also felt at times that the camera angles changed too often to really see and enjoy some of the movements. Extras include written bios of all the dancers and written written text on what Tribal Fusion is and a behind-the-scenes video montage. On the whole this is the great video and has some wonderful tribal fusion performances so um i got a lot of emails from you guys too many to read all of them um commenting on the show last week and about the um snafus that my troop ran into with our performances, and several people commended us for our quick thinking and using uh, duct tape for shoes. <laughs> That's a free one <laughs> for me. Um, I also will say that um, medical tape would have worked too, but we didn't have any with this. us. Um, and I'm, I used to carry medical tape with me about the first two years I performed, and then I never did, needed to use it, so I took it out of my dance bag. And it's so going right back in there now. And some of you guys emailed in that you had had the same experience with your troops. And um, unfortunately, there wasn't anything y'all could do. And so you actually ended up with um, some of your fellow dancers getting burned feet. I was kind of surprised by how many of you actually emailed me that um, that had happened to your troops. And. It had resulted in injuries. So I just want to say to all of you, please be careful when thinking about doing shows in the summer hot months on asphalt or in parking lots and pavement and everything. Please invest in some dance shoes or carry medical tape, (laughs) something. Um, And then, oh, and I have to tell you guys, so... Speaking of performances gone awry, (laughs) Um, a few weeks ago we had Shimmy Fest here in uh, the Northwest Arkansas area, and I did my first solo at Shimmy Fest. Um, Not like my first solo ever in my career, but my first solo at this venue, and first we did a group piece that was wonderful and went off very well, it was really a lot of fun and um, I think the audience really enjoyed it a lot. And then um, I did um, my solo, and it was a veil piece, and this was the second time I had performed it. The first time I performed it was at Knoll, outside with all those other bad (laughs) problems that happened with that performance. And And it was outside in the wind, and everything went fine. I didn't have any problems with it. Veil piece, out in the wind. And I didn't have any problems. So, um, got to Shimmy Fest and started to do the performance. And pretty close to the beginning of the song, my veil actually got caught on my head, which I have never gotten my veil caught on my head so bad before. And it really, from my perspective, felt like I was actually, like, strangling and choking myself. And I couldn't get it off. And it finally came off. And in retrospect, talking to everybody about it, apparently it just felt a lot worse than it actually looked. Thank God. Because, I mean, I'm serious. I was like, I can't breathe in here. And I thought I was being choked. Um, Then after that, and th- this was really the bane of my existence for the rest of the... um solo my left anklet got hooked on my right anklet Uh uh-huh i've never heard of this happening to any dancers before and i don't think i'm ever gonna perform in anklets again after this but it got caught really well to the point where i actually couldn't move like i couldn't step forward or to the sides or anything they were hooked really well so um i ended up just standing there doing you know a lot of mayas and a lot of you know chest work and hip work that i could do just standing in place as i'm sitting there trying to like discreetly wiggle my ankles apart and everything and see if i can get them to unhook and apparently most of the audience did not notice this thank god so they finally come unhooked well what happened was the left anklet Actually broke, but stayed attached to the right anklet, so then at this point, it's just flapping around loose on the right anklet, and so I'm sitting there in my head, and I'm thinking, man, should I just stop and take these off, or should I just dance and hope that at some point it's going to dislodge and fly off? and land somewhere on stage where I can see it, and just avoid it for the rest of the performance. And the people on the front row could actually see the anklet flopping around. Everybody else couldn't, and had no clue what was going on until I got off stage and started talking to people. And um, it wouldn't have been so bad, except it was flopping around, and every time it would flop around, inevitably I would end up stepping on it with my left foot, and um, this actually resulted in several cuts on my left, f- on the bottom of my left foot, where I kept um, stepping on it, and um, my, Ryan and um, some of my friends who knew me really well were like, yeah, you really couldn't tell that anything was wrong, except every once in a while, you got these really big grins on your face, like, "Ah, this wasn't going as well as I wanted, or something like that. And I was like, oh, no, no, that wasn't that type of grin. That grin and that smile was, I am so trying to hide the fact that I am grimacing in pain, grin. Because every time I did that, I was like really stepping on the anklet and it was hurting. And um, I'm pretty sure that it must have been the worst step that I took on it when I got the deepest cut, that it hurt so bad and surprised me so bad that I actually dropped my veil, and um, which I was like, well, crap at that point. So I just bent over and picked it up really quick. Well, it was a semicircular veil, and when I picked it up, I picked it up by the circle edge, which if anybody's worked with a semicircular veil, y- you know if you're holding it by the circle edge, you, you can't really actually work it correctly so i'm sitting there and a lot of the things that i needed to do i knew i needed to have a hold of the straight edge for so i was like how am i gracefully going to get this on the right edge so in my head i'm thinking okay do i just drop the veil and ditch it and forget about it and just finish the rest of the piece without the veil at all um, do I just try to figure out some way to work with it, holding the circular edge? And then the only, then my last thought that I had was, okay, do I let go and do I try to actually flip the veil and let go of it and try to catch it by the straight edge to get it back? And I decided, well, you know what, at this point, what What else do I have to lose? I had felt like this wasn't the solo I had wanted to perform up to that point anyway. So what else did I have to lose? So I um, flipped it and, you know, just... And, you know, I snapped it up and let go of it. And then as the straight edge floated up, I just, like, reached out and grabbed it in the air really fast. And caught it and by the correct edge and everything at that point and then finished the routine and took my bow and was walking off the stage and just as I was about to get to the steps to walk off stage that dang left anklet finally popped off the right one I know it waits until the very end so I lean over and I'm take it up off the stage, and I'm holding it up over my head, and I say, now it comes off, (laughs) and everybody in the front row, who knew what had been happening up to that point with the dang anklet, like, was really clapping and everything, and was just like, oh my gosh, the poor girl, and everybody in the back, they were clapping and everything, but they were kind of like, what, what is she saying, what is she talking about, because they didn't have a clue, so... Um, I got off stage and everything, and there were some dancers who met me and were just like, Oh my gosh, are you okay? Is your foot okay? And um, one of them actually ran and got me um, some wet paper towels and um, some soap and everything so I could wash my cuts. (laughs) They were were really nice, And, and they had come up, and they were like, Are you okay? Is your foot okay? We saw your anklet. And they were like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe you got through that and dance, you know, just danced the whole dance with that thing flapping around. And, and then another dancer came up and said, Oh my gosh, I could see it on your face that you were thinking about flipping the veil to get it by the right edge. And I was just sitting there thinking, no, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. And then you did it and you got it. And I was like, yes. So it's just, it's nice when you get done with a performance that wasn't your best performance and people come up to you and and they tell you that they were like struggling with you right there and hoping that you would persevere and everything would come out all right and there there were some wonderful dancers too who came up and told me that they just thought it was a beautiful performance and it actually made her cry And I was like, oh, thank you, I appreciate that. And that, of course, made a world of difference since I was feeling so horrible about it because it wasn't the best that I had danced that piece. And I hope at some point soon, I'll be able to find somewhere to dance it again and videotape it so I can redeem that piece in my own mind. And and like I said, since I've talked to a lot of my troop members and everybody and it really did not look as bad as it felt, which I'm I'm glad to hear that. But it was still quite an experience. So, um that's another one for all of you to learn about. Make sure that your anklets don't get caught on each other <laughs> and that they're joints are reinforced and everything so they don't break or something. I don't know. Or, you know, do what I'm gonna do for the rest of my life and I'm just never gonna perform an anklets again. <laughs> so and if anybody has any comments, suggestions or feedback, you can send an email to shimmicast at gmail.com or you can post on the forums which you can get through. Uh, get to through our blog shimmycast.blogspot.com and thank you to all of those who have sent in um, review requests that's really helping me out and we'll be getting um, those reviews taken care of and written soon and you'll be hearing those in the show really soon I promise So this is the first part of my interview with Safa. I hope you all enjoy. Okay, so your name, your troupe, and where you're from. Okay, uh, my name, do, wait, do you want my dance name? Yeah. Okay, my dance- you want everybody to know your real
1: one. I'll, I'll say both. Okay. Okay, so my dance name is Safa. My real name is Claire Linton. Uh, the name of my dance company is Kafif Music and Dance, and we also have live music, so it's a band and a dance company, and it's based in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania.
0: No, I'm already distracted by your tattoo. <laughs> what is it? What does it mean?
1: <laughs> it's actually, it's uh, Arabic for Peace Be With You, which is as alaikum um, and it's actually part of a little linguistic thing that I studied sociolinguistics in my undergraduate degree and with a focus on Middle Eastern languages and studies because of the dancing. And I actually thought it was really fascinating that um, Arabic and Hebrew have exactly the same linguistic root. So it's actually not done. It's Arabic on this side and I wanted it to be Hebrew on the other side, but I'm not going to get anything tattooed on there without knowing for sure that it says what i want it to say
0: <laughs> so exactly exactly yeah i kind of i took arabic in college so i was like oh, and mm-hmm. was like muslim <laughs> <laughs> okay um so how did you get started dancing oh geez um well i started in
1: 1993 when i was in eighth grade And one of my friends in 8th grade, her mother was a belly dancer. And I thought that was the coolest thing ever. So Cabaret. She was a cabaret, yeah. She was a cabaret dancer. And I went to classes with her and uh, thought they were awesome. And my mother was in charge of setting up programming for the local library that she worked at. So she set up, you know, like story times for toddlers and stuff. And she said, well, why don't we have belly dancing classes? So she set up a regular belly dancing class at the library where she worked. And I started going to those. And I just loved them so much. I just kept going. Fun, fun. And who have some of your teachers been? Oh, geez. I'm afraid... Now, see, this is where I start to be afraid I'm going to leave people out. Um, well, in the in the tribal dance community, I've taken classes from so many people. Um, Zoe Jakes, Mira Betts, Elizabeth Strong, Jill Parker, um, and Rose, obviously, um, Heather Stance of Urban Tribal and Sarah, um, Rachel Bryce, Sharon Kihara, um, Zia Ali from Awalim, Zafira Dance Company, um, my dance partner actually right now in my dance company, Nifa uh, was my first teacher when I moved to Pittsburgh and I love her she she kind of molded me into her little puppet which is nice, and although now I have a little bit of my own style, unfortunately <laughs> uh, for her <laughs> um, oh, uh, and other teachers just in general I've taken class from Eva Chernick who is just amazing uh, John Compton um, well, Sara Saida, I loved Sara Saida and Aisha Ali. They were both just amazing. Um, I know I'm leaving people out, and it's going to make me really sad. I went to Middle Eastern Music and Dance Camp that was run by Artemis. Artemis, oh my God. Artemis, I want to French kiss Artemis. She's so awesome. She's the best. Artie is awesome, and she's a very good teacher. Oh, Amy Sigil from Moon Mata, also a really, really good teacher. Very good. Um... I know I'm leaving people out, so fill in the blanks. It happens.
0: It happens. So, how
1: did you go from cabaret to tribal? Oh, geez. Well, it seems it's so organic and it's such a long time ago that it's really hard to remember. But um, I remember back when I first started doing cabaret, and I don't know if this was an instigating incident or not, but the very first show that I ever did, I was about 15 or 16 years old and I was super gung-ho and excited. And I had my very first little cabaret outfit. It was black and silver and had a little split skirt that was made out of curtains and sequins and everything. And it's like, oh, this is so great. And nobody told me that I had to wear pants. So I was in this show and like super excited. I'm sure I was just terrible, but I wish I had the video from that. Uh, And I had this like little split skirt and I had an underskirt underneath it. So it wasn't totally see-through. And I was like, well, you know, I should wear a thong because then nobody will see my underpants. So I was wearing a split skirt and a thong, and one of my friends came up to me after the show. They are like, it was great, I could see your whole butt the entire time you were dancing. I was like, oh my god, oh my god, I'm going to die. Um, So I don't know if that was like an instigating incident for deciding to wear more clothes when I was dancing (laughs) or what. But um, I think it really just started because I was a member of the Society for Creative Anachronism. And a lot of the dancers that are in the SCA who go to Penzik are tribal style dancers. And I think when I first went to Penzic, um and started seeing dancers was around 96, and I had been going since 93. And it was the troupe Gawazi, which is now defunct. It split into Zafira and Khafif, my group, and, and the other group in Pittsburgh. Um, and I thought they were amazing. They wore these, like, beautiful Indian embroidered cholis and turbans, and I had never seen anything like that before, and they were just captivating. So I loved them. And then I started stalking them. Um, around Penzik and then I met some of their other friends who are also now my friends like Awalim Dance Company and Blue Lotus and um, like Ansa from Baraka Mundi in North Carolina and just lots of different people and it just kind of grew from there. It just became, it became not only a dance form that I liked and a costuming form but also a social group.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So here are some fast questions. Mm-hmm. Favorite move?
1: Favorite move? Oh, probably my favorite move is uh, an Arabic three-step actually, because um, but adding an undulation on the beginning of it. So undulation and then twist. Um, moves that you've
0: struggled with that have been a challenge for you.
1: <laughs> Thanks to one of my teachers, Jala Fareshta, who is based in Texas, I believe, or possibly Florida, I don't know where she is now. Um... She used to just kick my butt adding shimmies on top of the most difficult movements all the time. So I would, like, adding shimmies on stuff used to be so hard for me. And and lately it hasn't been. Lately it's been trying to layer um, soft movements and hard movements at the same time in the same place. Do you do prop work, and
0: which is your favorite?
1: Yeah, I do. Um, I actually I do you know sword, veil, basket, all that kind of stuff. Um, probably my favorite is sword, just because it's really easy to do stuff with. But veil runs a close second.
0: Mirrors, beads, or fringe? <laughs> which one's better?
1: <laughs> um, I would go for mirrors. Because even of the above. yeah, definitely. I mean, I am digging on the fringe for sure. Um, I don't like the beads because they always break and then they get under your foot and they hurt. Yeah. So yeah, I would I would probably go for mirrors because they're they're less likely to kill you and also in a pinch you can check your makeup in them.
0: That's a good idea. I,
1: mm-hmm. of that. I have a choli that has like a huge, enormous mirror. Like they have little flaps over the boobs. Every now and then I flip it up, I can check my lipstick, flip it back down.
0: Oh, that is so. awesome <laughs> Tip. <laughs> Egg huge tip. <laughs> okay. Um, what musicer is currently inspiring you?
1: Oh, wow. Um, well, a lot of the music, I mean, this is going to sound totally hokey, but my my group really inspires me. The music that we use, um, the uh, the kind of main kind of musical influences in our group come from uh, two specifically of our musicians, Lynette and Jim, and they're primarily, originally, Balkan musicians, so they do a lot of brass. Ooh, nice. Um, and brass has been super in in the belly dancing yeah. community. Like, the Toids and like, mm-hmm. um, you know, Gogo Bordello and all of this kind of thing kind of being really modern. But I, we were doing that ages ago and I love their stuff. They come up with these like crazy gypsy songs and just yeah. like they do the best arrangements and stuff. So listening to my band is actually just super exciting and happy for me. Now, do you improv or choreograph or is it a little bit of both? When dancing with a group, we always choreograph. Um, we actually, we are probably one of the the few Well, actually, that's not true anymore. I was going to say we're one of the few tribal troops that does choreography, but I think most tribal (laughs) troops do choreography now. Um, And we really prefer that um, very much because we like a really nice, tight, sharp kind of cohesiveness to our dancing. When I'm dancing solo, I usually do improv because it doesn't really matter. But at at some point, I know the music that I'm using well enough that I know exactly where stuff is going to come. So I end up doing the same thing in the same place, so it's sort of semi-choreographed. Can you talk a little bit about your choreography process? Sure, yeah, happily. Um, when choreographing in a group, usually what we do, I love choreographing in a group or with a partner, and my primary choreography partner is usually Nifa, my my other dance partner in the group, because we bounce ideas off of each other, and you know she'll say, well, how about we put this part right here, and she'll do something, and I'll say, yeah, I like that, but I think it would work better later in the dance, so how about we do this here, kind of a thing, but generally, usually what we do is go through a song. We pick a song first that we like, um, and have the band learn it, <laughs> because we, we always dance live music and um, then we go through it kind of chunk by chunk and choreograph kind of in sequence so if we ever if we ever kind of have a song where there's one particular part say a drum solo near the end of it where we're like okay I know that we want to do this for the drum solo then we'll skip ahead and choreograph that part but usually we just go okay this and then this and then this and we usually do maybe like 10 second to 30 second chunks at a time but we just kind of step forward
0: um, how often do you practice
1: and for how long? Me personally or with the dance company? Me personally. Um, It goes in spurts. Sometimes I practice like every day for like an hour because I'm just like damn this move I cannot get it or something and sometimes I'll be like "Eh, I'm fine and then I go like two weeks without practicing or something. Um, I find it's really good for me to teach regular classes um, just because when I'm teaching the classes I'm getting the benefit of drilling and stuff at the same time and a lot of that is stuff that really just keeps me in practice with that thing but I find the best thing to do for me to practice dancing rather than just technique is to just put on music and just dance around and work with it and listen to music and kind of try and stretch myself and, you know, watch DVDs and steal moves from other people. So I always, I feel kind of like I'm always practicing a little bit because I'm always on the lookout for new stuff, even if I'm not actually physically dancing. Yeah. Do you have a specific drill regimen that you stick to? Ah, um, I have a drill regimen that I do if I'm not working on something in particular. Like if I if I have a particular move that I'm just that's frustrating me, then I'll do that. But usually, what I do is just go through things in sequence. I do I think of moves in families, so I do all the circles together, all the figure eights together, you know, all the sharp moves together, that kind of thing. Um, and then I take them and I do them walking. I do them turning in a circle. I do them with Arabic footwork. I do them with a shimmy on it. And then what else do I do? Add arms. So I, like I, you bump it up a level every single time. And after that, you have like hours and hours and hours worth of, of drilling to do. So I usually just kind of take stuff out here and there. But Are there other forms of exercise that you find aid your belly dance? To- yoga. Totally yoga yoga is and I love yoga in general I mean I did I started doing yoga a little bit after I started doing belly dancing but the um, it's kept me really flexible. And like I was saying in the class, actually doing a lot of the moves in yoga strengthen muscles that you need for belly dancing. And I'm I'm a really firm believer in that. If you want to do something, you need to practice doing that thing. So if you want to learn how to do a particular belly dancing move, then you should do the belly dancing move rather than try and do some exercise that strengthens the muscles that do that belly dancing move. I mean that helps, but in order to practice doing the move, you need to practice doing the move. But yoga is such
0: a great backup for that. I love it. So great. Have you found any forms of exercise that you feel detriment your work as a belly Dancer?
1: Jogging. jogging. Yeah, jogging and running. I'm not a jogger or a runner either because I'm a wuss or because I just, you know, I, I have, I think I have like a, a slight asthmatic thing because whenever I start running I'm always like, I can't breathe, but it could just be because I'm a pansy ass. <laughs> um, but totally like the number one thing that I see people coming in to me with is they have knee problems and they get knee problems from jogging. Although I did have have a whole group of people who were coming in with with back problems and they were really young like really young people with with back problems and knee problems turned out they were equestrians so they were getting a lot of a lot of issues from that so that would be kind of detrimental too i would guess but definitely jogging running not good for you I never would have thought the equestrian thing. Right? Seriously, that's crazy. I know. I think some of it was from falling off of the horses and landing wrong, but some of it was also because you have to hold that really rigid, like leaning forward position. You're just locked. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's true.
1: What kind of audiences do you like to perform for? I uh, I actually really really love audiences of Middle Eastern people because they're so enthusiastic. Um, every time I've ever had an audience that was like like weddings, we do a lot of weddings, Middle Eastern weddings, Lebanese weddings, you know, Greek weddings and stuff. They're so happy. Somebody's grandfather will get up and dance with you, and you know, somebody's grandmother is leading a line dance, waving a hanky in the air, and you know, and um, restaurants that I've done. Um, like the uh, the waiters who are Middle Eastern at the restaurants are always like oh Habibi, you are so beautiful and I'm like, oh thanks, I feel great you know, and compare, I think it's really difficult for a lot of kind of traditional western audiences because they don't really know how to react Yeah. so I mean you get you sometimes you get that very polite like wait until she's done and then clap like an opera clap which is really disconcerting for me yes. or if you're in a restaurant, one thing I've run into, the worst thing to be at is date night in a restaurant, the girl doesn't want to look at you because she's afraid that you're prettier than she is and the guy can't look at you because he's like he'll get in trouble right so nobody looks at you and everybody's uncomfortable and then you feel bad yeah. right so best audience by far middle eastern people or belly dancers
0: yeah belly dancers
1: are really fun to perform for because then they're all like "Ooh, i like that thing she did
0: yeah Her. i want that costume i want that costume exactly i want that costume actually speaking of speaking people are trying on costumes around us <laughs> yeah Um, so speaking of costumes do you make yours or do you buy them a little bit of both a little bit of both definitely Um,
1: I have I've kind of pared down my costuming a lot recently just because I'm on the move so I have to fit it into my car but I passed on a lot of my kind of costume stuff that I haven't used that much to the newest dancer who just joined our dance company Darcy so she has like a good a good wardrobe now Um, but a lot of the stuff like the more intricate things like the embroidered Middle Eastern or uh, Rajasthani cholis and stuff that I have, those I bought because they're really hard to make. I have a couple that I made, um, but they're a huge pain. Um, I have, like, a lot of harem pants that I made myself and, you know, like, um, guwazi coats and, you know, like, Turkish vests and stuff that, that I made, but kind of, I just pick stuff up whenever I see it. I, I get stuff from thrift stores a lot of the time, actually, and you can, like, reconstitute it a little bit. People give me things, which is really nice, but, yeah, mostly, mostly I, if there's something that I really want that's too expensive, then I make it. Yeah.
0: Do you try to coordinate your costumes to your routines, Like, or, or do you see a costume that's like, ooh, if I had that kind of costume, then I could do this kind of routine, or, or does it feed off of each other? Yeah,
1: oh, totally, totally. Um, I think because we're a performing troupe, too, um, costume is definitely a really important aspect of a performance. If you're doing a cohesive performance, you want to match the costume as much as possible. Unfortunately, what that also means is that sometimes we're doing an hour-long performance and we don't have time for a costume change. So sometimes we have to do just as generic a costume to fit with most of the dances that we're doing as possible, but some of them you have to have a specific costume, right? Like North African dancing, you need like North African costuming for that because otherwise it doesn't really look that good. Or cabaret, you really kind of need bedla to do cabaret or it doesn't really look fabulous. but I find that having the right costume really makes me feel ready to do the dance, right? Like, if I'm, if I'm, like, suited up in that exact right costume and I have that exact right song, then I'm like, damn, I'm fine. You know, that's totally how I feel.
0: Yeah. So I hope you all enjoyed this week's show. Now it's time for the question of the week, and we're going to keep the same question, which is, what is the funkiest place you have bought a costume piece from? To answer, you can send emails to shimmycast at gmail.com or go to our forum board at shimmycast.blogspot.com. Finally, it's time for the last music pick of the week. This song is Guru Rabbi Teacher by Secret Archives of the Vatican from the Podsafe Music Network. I hope you all enjoy, and until next time, this is Anala Rabari saying shimmy on. Thanks again for listening to ShimmyCast. You can leave us feedback at shimmycast at gmail.com and be sure to visit our website and forum at www.shimmycast.blogspot.com. Remember, the opinions expressed are of those of the host and the podcast crew. Thanks again.